everybody. Welcome into another episode of the Comics Experience Make Comics Podcast, the show where we talk about the nuts and bolts of making comics. My name is Joey Grote, and I'm joining Andy Schmidt. Hello, Andy. Hey, Joey. How you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. I, the, uh, the other person that's joining us that you have heard before on the show is Gamal Hennessy. Hello, Gamal. Hello, sir. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for joining us today. And uh, we have to do that obligatory, let everybody know what everybody's voice sounds like so they can put their the names with uh, the voices. The uh, topic today is going to be contracts. And that is something that is mega important in, in any endeavor, but especially comics when it comes to work for hire or comes to working with a creator or working with a publisher or fill in the blank. Um, but first, we wanted to say that Gamal is also on the show because he is going to be joining the show with Andy, and it's uh, a very cool, deep bench of knowledge that he brings to the table with his background and experiences, which we're going to get into uh, a little bit, so you can be a little more primed for what Gamal is going to be uh, able to talk to in a completely different way than than Andy or I can, and then all the overlapping background that Gamal has with Andy and, and their relationship, which goes back, I, I think it predates ours, Andy. Uh, yes, it does. But I think you're also sort of like, you're soft peddling this whole thing that, that this is episode 250. It is episode 250. And it is, uh, Joey's final episode as co-host. Uh, and by Joey, I mean you, Joey. And I think we should, I think we should announce that. And that gives me the chance to, uh, thank you very much for being on 200 episodes <laughs> of the Make Comics podcast. I, I, you have been awesome, and uh, and I'm sure lots of folks listening to the podcast are going to be sorry to see you go. Um, so thank you. Well, I appreciate that. It's been very fun to get to talk to you, obviously, and, and to bring in folks like Gamal and, and talk to them and their expertise on, and what they think and the, the different folks we've had over the years, including guests and the rotating co-hosts for a while. It's been a, a lot of fun to be able to literally get to learn from people. And, and that's been kind of the cheat of this whole thing is it's a chance for me to talk to people about making comics and it gets recorded and put out, but I got to ask questions and uh, hopefully folks got to learn a lot uh, as I did. So I appreciate the opportunity. It's been a lot of fun. And, and with that, I think we should jump into, I, I first, heard of Gamal from Comics Experience when I joined, predating the podcast, uh, because I was talking to some folks about a contract, and that that is who Andy Schmidt recommended that I talk to as 2010, 2011 Joey getting his first contract uh, talk coming from a, a publisher, which, you know, ultimately went nowhere. That's a, a rare story in making comics. Uh, but, but, you know, that to, to get that ball rolling, I, I know I emailed and corresponded with Gamal because Andy, you had, had known him, I believe at your time at Marvel. Yeah, that's right. Gamal, give us your origin story. Uh, the origin story. Well, it started out with like many people who are in the comic book industry. I grew up reading comics. I'm quite sure it was like a Neil Adams Batman that, you know, I first read in getting comics and like kind of learning how to read with the idea of comics. And I kept on reading comics all throughout law school. In fact, I was reading probably more comics than I was the legal books I was supposed to be reading, <laughs> which is not something that I recommend to anyone who is actually spending a quarter of a million dollars in law school to probably read <laughs> what you're supposed to be reading. But I didn't do that. And the result of that was I had a colleague who got 
in, invited to be general counsel for an animation and manga company called Central Park Media. But she didn't want the job because she had her own production TV production company and she didn't want a job working for somebody else. But she said, I know a person who's about to graduate law school who knows all about comics. And in her mind, comics and manga were the same thing. She didn't <laughs> care. She was just, she, so she told me, go to this place, talk to this guy. He's going to give you a job. And that's kind of what happened. I had no experience. I had no idea what it was I was doing, but I, the first job that I got out of law school, I was the general counsel for a manga company and I had to figure it out. And that I was, was there the for Central Park Media, right? Yes, that was Central Park Media. So I was at CPM for about four years. And then um, Marvel decided that they wanted to break into the Japanese market. And the, the experience Marvel had in the past with going into Europe or South America or anywhere else, they would get on the phone, call them up and say, we're Marvel, give us money. And that happened because they were Marvel. But Japan, it's a very unique kind of negotiating process. You can't just waltz in there and do whatever you want. They needed somebody who understood how to negotiate with the Japanese. So a person from Marvel called me up and said, go to this place, talk to this guy, he's going to give you a job. And that's what happened. I became international publishing manager for Marvel a week after the first Spider-Man dropped. Now, this is the first Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. So this was a long, 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 <laughs> right. long time ago. Right, for all those old folks that remember that. Exactly, because if I say first <laughs> Spider-Man, people are very confused about what it is that I'm talking about. First Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. Um, and I was there for about two years. I helped them open up the Japanese market. We got the deal to get Ultimates and Daredevil and something else into the uh, Japanese market at the time because those were the films that were kind of building up at the time. Those, but those I also movies. Yeah, well, yeah, the yes. When I say Daredevil, <laughs> I mean the Ben Affleck Daredevil, <laughs> not the Netflix Daredevil, which is a completely different thing. Um, but the other thing that I had to do was help negotiate a lot of the artist and writer contracts for the books that were being made. So what would happen is a writer or an artist would come in and I would hand them the contract. It was always the same scenario. I would say, take this to your lawyer, let them read it, and let me know what they think, and we can close the deal. But I quickly realized, and this was in 95% of the cases, that they didn't have a lawyer. I knew they didn't have a lawyer. They knew they didn't have a lawyer. And the only thing that was going to happen was they were going to sign what I put in front of them because I was Marvel and they weren't. And I realized this was a very mm, inequitable situation. <laughs> so I left Marvel, I guess, 2003, and I started a small boutique firm called Creative Contract Consulting. And basically, the only thing that the company was supposed to do was explain to comic creators what they were signing. Because in a lot of cases, they didn't have the leverage to tell Marvel or DC what they were going to do, they just needed to understand what it was that they were signing so they can go into the deal with open eyes and either sign it or not sign it. But fortunately... Yeah, you don't really negotiate your anything with Marvel and DC. You can request like a page rate bump, but when they send you the work for hire contract with your page rates, like that's not... Like you can't go, hey, I don't like this clause about when I get my art original art returned to me or whatever. Like... Mm -hmm. You either sign it or you don't work there, and 
like and they're fine either way. Yeah. Yeah, the only times that we had to negotiate deals, Andy, I'm sure you remember back in the day that there was a lot of scrambling between Marvel and DC for exclusive deals. Yeah. And when the the t- upper tier talent was actually everybody was scrambling to pick see who they can get as an exclusive because that was supposed to be bumping up um sales numbers, then people could negotiate their deal. Then you could ask for, you know, insurance, you could ask for travel bonuses you could ask it was almost like working in sports at that point because there was so many incentives built into those upper level contracts but you are correct the vast majority of people did not get to negotiate anything yeah but but it's also important i mean your point of like of of with the newer talent like people just starting to work at a a marvel or dc like making sure that they understand Mm-hmm. what what they are or are not signing so that they can make an informed decision is huge like you they may know they can't negotiate it but at least they <laughs> they know which devil they're signing a deal with <laughs> exactly exactly but the market changed significantly since i started the firm because now we're in a situation with the proliferation of technology and tools and things like that where people are now building their own comic book companies they're actually starting their own imprints start they're launching their own books and my practice has actually evolved to um kind of fulfill those needs so i'm helping people form companies negotiate collaboration deals work for higher deals licensing deals um there's quite a few mid-range to like upper level publishers that have me on retainer There's individual creators that come to me for deals. Quite a few people from comics experience over the years have come to me to like help them set up their companies or set up deals and things like that. And what I realized in 2016 was that I was helping them with the legal side, but there were so many other aspects of the business that they weren't really comfortable with marketing, distribution, project management, this whole range of things that people didn't know what to do. So I wrote a book called The Business of Independent Comic Book Publishing, which is a guide to the entire process from the time you decide you want to make comics to the time that you are leaving your comic book empire in your will to the next generation. And everything in between is in that book. And um, that book came out in 2020. It was actually... uh, very well received. And I am now working on the follow-up book, which is a book on freelance comic book publishing and how to actually build a business that way. Nice. It is is definitely one of those books that any comics creator should pick up. It's a a great read. I know I got, I think, a first edition. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, I'm looking at it on my shelf right now. There it is. Staring at me, telling me all the things I did wrong. (laughs) Well, that is the one pushback, the one negative point that I got when I started doing press for the book. A lot of comic creators were angry that it was like 10 years after they got into it. And I should have written it beforehand so that they didn't do all the things that they were not supposed to do. And all I could say to that is, I'm sorry. I don't have a time (laughs) stone. I can't can't help you with that. Yeah, so... uh... So, but there are times when when even newer creators might be able to negotiate a little, right? Like, I mean, 
if they're negotiating with a smaller publisher, then you know they can ask for certain things, right? Like, oh, or- absolutely, absolutely. Once you understand what the what is in the contract, and you understand what it is that you are looking for from this particular deal. You can, it, it's all a question of leverage, which is your ability to actually get what you want based on who you are, but relative to who they are. So if you're a brand new creator and they're a brand new publisher, it's not as if they have huge amounts of leverage over you. They can act like they're Marvel, but in reality, they're not. So if you want a, if you want certain things in terms of your rights, your revenue, your responsibility, you can ask for them and you can come to an agreement that's actually mutually beneficial for both sides, as opposed to having a piece of paper slapped down in front of you and being told to sign it because we don't negotiate. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, so that's pretty, I mean, you and I met at Marvel and I didn't realize that you and I started so close together. I only started like two or three weeks before you. Oh, uh, I thought the way the, well, see when you were there, I just assumed that you had been there for at least a year or two years before I got there. Oh, I was very green right around the Spider-Man. We got to see the, the, the one week early advanced screening of that Spider-Man movie. The one with Tobey Maguire, mm-hmm. uh, my first or second week at work. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I actually joined a week after that. I did not get to go to the advanced screening because I was still <laughs> negotiating my deal. Well, I say negotiating as if because I too was not really in a position to negotiate my deal with Marvel. So Bill Jemis said, "Here, here's the contract," and I said, "Okay, I'm going to sign it because you know, right? This is Marvel, and yeah." To be fair, and it was like more money. Mar- so Marvel in two thousand two was not like Marvel today. Like I mean, no. they were they were still in bankruptcy and they hadn't had a hit movie yet. I mean, I guess that yes. was a was a decent sized hit, but you know, it wasn't until Spider Man hit that they really had a hit movie. Right, and the way the X the original X Men deal was structured, they didn't get very much from that deal anyway. So they had a hit movie, but they had no control over it. They didn't have you know dollar one revenue from it. So it was a movie. It did pretty you know, good. You know what they should do is is buy Fox so that they could use those characters again. That's what they should probably think about doing. I mean, it's, it. It, would, it it wouldn't be cheap, but you know. You'd get a lot of buzz from it. You get a lot of YouTube videos going around. <laughs> maybe some trailers. Yeah, maybe some leaks. Exactly. Things like that could happen if only, you know, Disney bought Marvel and then bought Fox. Right. Yeah, that'll never happen. Yeah. Um. All right. So what's the uh, what's the what are the top uh, what's the top couple things like to look for if you're a freelancer and you're you're you've got you've made a book. Right. And, right. You're, and you're you're talking with a publisher and what are they're like, OK, this sounds great. Here's a contract. What do you what do you recommend that that people make sure they always look for? So at least they understand it. OK, well, the way that I actually break it down, explain it to people is you have to look at what your rights are, what your revenue stream is and what your responsibilities are. So it's rights, revenue, responsibility. When we're talking about rights, you have to understand 
what it is that you are going, what are you giving up and what are you keeping? Like, are you, just because it says a publishing agreement on the top, doesn't mean that it's, this is a publishing agreement because a publishing agreement basically means you're giving them the right to make certain types of comics. But if the agreement actually says that they get the TV rights, the movie rights, the merchandising rights, the video game rights, the publishing rights for your life plus 70 years after that, and you can't get those rights back, then you now you understand really what your rights are relative to that book. You yeah, realize right. you, are, you are giving away that book. And then the next question becomes, well, okay, what is your revenue? Because people, a lot of people think, well, if they give up all the rights to uh, intellectual property, then that is automatically wrong. That is not the case. It all depends on what you're getting for what you're giving up. So if they are taking all the rights, but they're giving you like half a million dollars up front for a book that you, you know, you did 22 pages, well, maybe you give them to them because it's a half a million dollars. But if they're not giving you anything, well, that's a completely different scenario. So you have to actually look at that scenario. You also have to look at when they talk about royalties, which is money that you're going to get after the book comes out, you have to actually ask yourself, well, how am I actually going to make money after the book comes out? Because you have to actually look, is there, are you getting up the gross? Are you getting a piece of the net? If you're getting a piece of the net, what is actually being deducted from the gross to get to the net? And is the deduction so much that you will never get paid? And the last thing you have to look at is your responsibility. Like, what is it that you have to do or keep doing in this deal? Is it just deliver the f finished pages? Or is it, do you have to automatically give them the sequel? Do you have to work on other books for them? Do you have to promote things for them? What do you have to do? So once you understand your rights, your revenue, your responsibilities, then you can actually determine, is this a good deal relative to what you want? Or is this a bad deal with relative to what you want? And I like that you broke that down into three R's so that we can remember there are three R's you want to look for. Yeah, it, it took me a long time. I workshopped that for a while before <laughs> I did those R's. So yeah, just smooth out for sir. Yeah, I try. I try. You just you got to just keep workshopping it. Otherwise, people are just going to forget what you're talking about. Yeah. Well, this is the kind of thing that going forward, um, you know, Kamal and I will be talking about certainly legal things, business, the business side of comics. Um, you know, Kamal and I both have uh, different inroads into that. I've been a freelancer, so I've been on the creative side, signing those contracts that you can't negotiate, signing some that you can um i've all you know we are also publishing i'm the publisher at cex so i could also be the guy that's saying we don't negotiate with you freelancer types um so we're gonna we're gonna get into all kinds of stuff like that which are which is really important to making comics the show is focused in the past for the most part on sort of the creative side and we won't lose sight of that by any means but um but we're hoping that bringing Gamal on is going to add a lot of extra sort of insights and dimensions into the, the business side of things. Um, so that'll be starting with episode 251. There's probably going to be a little hiatus between this uh, episode 250 and 251. It's usually about two weeks uh, between episodes. Might be a little bit longer this time as we're kind of retooling it and we're going to be changing up a, a couple other things format wise. Um, 
but that's what you have to to look forward to on the show. Gamal, welcome and thank you for joining. Uh, and Joey, again, thank you for 200 awesome episodes. Um, and uh, and and that's it. If you're online, please, you know, feel free to reach out to Joey. Uh, what's, what's your Twitter handle again? I know I should know this. <laughs> well, I have a question. Are you rebooting oh. with a new issue, issue number one? Or are you keeping the legacy numbering? How are you going to do that? So we're, uh, uh, Gamal, have we fully decided? What we're doing? <laughs> I don't think that we have actually fully decided because as, as a old comic book reader, like we are, I have a certain affinity for legacy numbering, um, <laughs> but I understand from a marketing perspective and a jumping on point, as they call it in the in the industry, a number one is always, you know, better than 251. I don't know. I'm still, I'm wrestling with it. Just drop the numbering altogether. You could just yeah. keep it by topic. Either way, if, if we continue, then obviously it'll be in this feed. If we are launching something completely new with a new number one, we will also put something in this feed to let <laughs> Um, like you, you, you won't be left behind. We'll put it exactly. Way. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. Never leave a comic creator behind. And Gamal, I know you are obviously active online. Are there other places folks should go to find you? Um, yes, I am actually extremely easy to find partially because my mother had the foresight to name, give me a name <laughs> that anyone can find on the internet and it can only find me. Um, there are no other Gamal Hennessy. So if you type Gamal Hennessy into Google, you will definitely find me. Um, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Just type in Gamal Hennessy into any one of those. You can also go to my website that is creativecontractconsulting.com. And that is where you can go if you are working on a deal for any aspect of your comic, whether it's a collaboration deal, work for hire deal, licensing deal, corporate formation, anything like that. I offer free consultations. So just go to the contact page. You fill in some information. We set you up with a free 30-minute consultation and figure out what it is that you need so that you can feel more legally comfortable about making your comics. Yeah, I remember that was where I first learned the term redline, I think, was uh, that was that was the early offer. So it was good to know the possibilities there and, and the different services. Well, if you guys, I don't know, are you guys taking questions? I don't know that part of the format either. There's so many questions I have. I'm going to have to tune in to the next episode. I think we'll, we'll likely take questions. So you can still send those to info at comicsexperience.com. Uh, I'll be monitoring that. And uh, actually, Joanne will be monitoring that. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll certainly still take questions there, and you can ping me um, at thirty nine a andy, so two a's there, thirty nine a a n d y, uh, on Twitter. Uh, you can always hit me up there too. And um, yeah, we'll we'll get this rolling, and we're gonna keep yeah. we're gonna keep the the comics knowledge flowing. <laughs> yeah, we're also gonna. Um, I know one aspect of this new show is actually discussing the industry news. Um, as it comes out to in relation to the way people are actually making their comics and building their business so that as the industry like evolves and changes, people who listen to the show can actually understand how all that news impacts their, their book specifically so that they can know how they need to pivot and adjust what they're doing to actually deal with the landscape as it's evolving. 
Yeah, absolutely. And there's so many venues that you can put your comic on now. It's, you know, a, a Webtoons. Uh, well, I'm going to take it to Kickstarter, but I've got partners. And then maybe I can take it to a small publisher or an image or how do I get that? There's so many different kind of layers that you're going to be dealing with legalese and, and different kind of business things that, you know, that's that's kind of another secret of comics. You kind of have to be a small business that, and you're going to be marketing, you're going to be comicking, obviously, but you're also going to need to do the business side and maybe ship your materials that you make and sell inventory and also plan for your convention. And yeah, there's there's a lot of business management that goes into doing comics. Exactly, exactly. And this show is designed to help help you kind of figure all that out. Excellent. Well, I know I will be tuning in and I appreciate again the the listeners over the years for checking out the show and hope it's been useful. So until next time, keep making comics.